I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 112, I'm going to talk to Dave Mitchell. Dave is a devoted husband, father of three, Christian, and a certified high-performance professional coach. He spent the last 20-plus years studying personal growth and leadership development. His mission is to coach disciples and help them break through whatever it is that's keeping them from experiencing the life that God intends for them. You'll learn four things that block you from becoming the person you want to be, the three E's of coaching that help people grow, and the power of getting 1% better. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I want to invite you to the 2021 Small Church Leadership Conference. The theme is Climb. This is for anyone who wants to grow, who's leading a small ministry or small church, and who desires to get inspired and get encouraged coming out of COVID. This is the second conference that we've had. The first one we entitled Look Up. but This one is called Climb. It's December 2nd through 5th, 2021, December 2nd through 5th of this year in Dallas, Texas. We're staying at the Marriott Las Colinas. We've arranged hotel prices of $109 per night. Early registration is $125 until June 30th. Then it goes up to $150 until August 31st. And after that, it'll be $175. So please, you don't want to miss this event. It's going to be so inspiring, so encouraging, so equipping. You can register today at robskinner.com and look for the Climb Conference tab. That's robskinner.com forward slash climb dash conference. I look forward to seeing you in Dallas in December of 2021. Today on the program, I've got Dave Mitchell, who's a performance coach and is a disciple and leader in the kingdom of God, and someone that you have contacted me and said, hey, we want to hear from Dave Mitchell. I look forward to talking to Dave. Dave, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's interesting because a number of people, I'd ask people, who do you want to hear hear from? And your name came up. And so I, I even though we don't know each other prior to this, I, I tracked you down. You're kind enough to open up your schedule for this time. So I know there are a lot of people excited to hear from you today. Let me ask you this. How'd you become a Christian? Uh, I, uh, let's see. I, so I went to the University of Massachusetts back in uh, 86. I got recruited there. Well, walked onto the football team slash recruited. It's a controversial topic. But anyway, <laughs> I went there. I ended up being a pullback. But believe it or not, in 87... Uh, I mean, 86, I walked onto a team, uh, UMass, with three disciples on the football team. So God, uh, and then my last name is Mitchell. I sat next to Chip Mitchell, even though they weren't alphabetically organized, the lockers, but God put me right next to Chip, who had been a Christian about a year now. 
year then and uh he leads the philly church right uh, now but yeah so god, god just put <laughs> someone very much like jesus right next to me and uh i went crazy my freshman year found a girl thought we were going to get married and then on, and then i was like oh my gosh like if we get married like we got to believe in god we got to go to church together and right. then that kind of started me studying the bible and then uh in uh yeah october of 87 i became a christian okay so did you study the bible with chip mitchell or he studied with me. He studied yeah, with you. He was there first. Okay. Yeah. I, I, they, those, him, Kevin Smelly, and Bo, just Bo, that's, that's all. Um, but those <laughs> three were all, became Christians the year before. So then I came in. And, uh, and then, so uh, in the offensive huddle, we had three disciples for most of my time playing football at UMass. That's so it, amazing. We just had a great time. Yeah. Now, I got to ask, were you, were you an easy study or were you a real hard head? Uh, this relationship was serious. Mm. It was six months. I mean, it was like pulling Velcro apart really slow. Wow. And, so, uh, cause my girlfriend studied the Bible for a while, um, for months and months and months and came to conferences and then she didn't make it. So it was, but, uh, it was tough. Plus my dad had a business that I was, um, kind of groomed to take over. And back at those, like, I remember having breakfast with him and just being like, listen, dad, if they ask me to go to Africa or something, I'm going to go. Wow. So don't hold the business, please. <laughs> you know, those, that's, those were those times. So, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I was an easy study. Doctrine was tough for me. Uh, the baptism thing. I just thought that was absolutely crazy that you had to be baptized to be saved. That and between that and the girlfriend, I think those were wow. the hardest things. Now, how did you end up meeting your wife? You're in a relationship, obviously that that didn't pan out. How'd you how'd you meet your current wife? So, a bunch of folks from Philly back at the end of '91 moved to New York City, and um, I had gone in the ministry in Philly in October, and then in November was asked, "Hey, do you want to go to do you want to go to New York and go in, and and stay in the ministry and go to New York?" And so I decided to do that. And my wife, I was working campus ministry. Mar, uh, Margie, at the, Margie Norris at the time was working daytime ministry. And so uh, it was kind of love at first conversation, I'll say. Wow. Not wow. love at first sight, but probably love at first conversation. Met her in January. We were going steady in March. So it was pretty quick. Wow. And then got engaged in November and married. Yeah, it's been 28 years. So you, you became a Christian in college and then went to New York to, to work in the ministry? Yeah, well, I went to Philly to go into ministry, um, but I, yeah, it's kind of, I had a job in New England, Matt Freely, if you're watching this, thanks, Matt, asked me to play <laughs> golf with him. He says, well, how about you move to Philadelphia? I said, I can't, I'm starting a job on Monday. He's like, I know, why don't you quit that job and move to Philly? And I'm like, I, well, I, because, and it was working with Chip Mitchell <laughs> in sales. And he said, I'm like, well, and, he, and he's like, you can, you can move to Philly and train to go in the ministry, not go in the ministry. So I moved to Philly. I quit my goal. My day, first day of work, I quit my job. They had my business cards already. I'm like, look, I can't work here. I got to <laughs> go to Philly, get a job there. Um, I'm working there three months. Then I get asked to go in the ministry. I quit that job, go in the ministry in October. And then in November, they're like, do you want to move to New York city? Wow. It was it was, it was one of those crazy great times, but I did have a feeling that God would bless that. And uh, I met Margie just a month or two later and uh, stayed there in New York for a couple of years, got married and moved to New Jersey. That's awesome. Yeah. Let me just, uh, there's a little bit of when you hit your desk, 
I, I'm hearing some okay. rumbling going into your microphone. So okay. every time you you hit it, I hear a, like a, a rumbling. So just if you could just keep aware of that. Absolutely. It, yeah. It'll just be a little bit of background inf- noise. I'm going to, I'll cut this part out. So don't worry about that. Okay. Okay. So you, you started out, you, you were going to go into business. You got a business degree and then you started out in professional ministry. You're in the ministry in New York city. Okay. How, okay. How did you get from there? Tell me a little bit about your career up until the time you got into coaching. Yeah. So um, my wife and I um, went to central Jersey. We led the church there, um, campus, the campus ministry Rutgers and Princeton and eventually the, the church there. And um and then my wife just got to a point where um, she wanted to serve. She wanted to do everything, you know, disciples do, but she just didn't want to kind of be supported from the church and was ready to kind of step out. That was 1998. So I was 30 years old and uh, just had ministry experience. <laughs> Maybe some of you out there can relate to this, but I was like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. And, uh, but I ended up getting into, I, I picked an industry, a good, a friend of mine had some good advice. He said, look, just pick an industry, put your head down and go. And so I got into telecommunications at the time I was 30 years old and then, um, became, you know, a rep and then a manager, then a vice president and then, and then a manager and then a rep again. <laughs> so it was 16 years of doing that. And, uh, it was great. It was awesome. Um, six of those years, I worked part-time in a region that didn't have a leader, Uh, So I was, my wife and I actually were going to two different churches at the time. I was leading kind of one and and she was going to another and uh, it was supposed to be for one year. It ended up being six years, Uh, but we did actually come together after two years as one big church. And I had the privilege of actually uh, putting together small groups. We kind of did a small group movement. We had about 53 small groups there in New Jersey and uh, really, really good time. Really good memories. I remember my son asking me once I was coaching his football team too, and he said, uh, he said, Dad, do you have to go to that meeting tonight? And that's when I told Larry Craig, I'm like, okay, I'm, d- I'm done. I need to quit. <laughs> wow. I was just waiting for, you know, for, you know, something to, something to happen. And, and that was it. But, um, but yeah, so, so, so it kind of was, it was ministry. We, we kind of resigned at that time. And then, you know, corporate job and then working part-time in the ministry uh, here in New Jersey. So you were kind of self-supporting in your leadership while you worked your corporate job for 14 years. Yeah. I was working my corporate job and then, um, yeah. And then the church, you know, I, I think there was some compensation, I think actually for that, I see for the part-time position. And so I was doing their, I was doing their sermons. I was doing their midweeks. I was doing their D group. So it's just about about everything. There you go. Just, okay. So then you, for those not familiar with the geography, Northern New Jersey, that's essentially, New York City, the suburbs, right? Am I wrong on that? Yeah, one? right across the river. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a lot of bedroom communities that commute into the city. I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Now, why why did you switch to coaching? I mean, you'd already experienced a couple careers. You've you've done ministry, and then you did ministry plus work, but now you're head on into coaching. How? What? Tell me about that. Oh, such a good question. Um, so unfortunately my father uh his life ended pretty quickly he was in a plane uh mid-air collision oh my god and so um you know got a call one day and he's like my sister was like a plane went down they think it was dad's and um 
And so, you know, I remember going to work in corporate America after that. And it was just like, I went into work one day. I was like, what am I doing here? You know, people had stopped going into the office for different reasons. Um, a lot of the social part of it was gone. And I was like, do I just really want to take care of people's networks like that? <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with working professionally. I just felt very like, it's kind of one of those moments, mm-hmm. you know, when you're just like, man, I, I, you know, my, my life could end really quick. And there were some things that, that I had been working on Rob that, you know, I remember, remember feeling like, you know, just stuff. I, I didn't feel well. And what I mean by that is, um, I didn't feel like I was doing great spiritually. I didn't feel super alive inside. It felt like I was living my life bumping along, but I was definitely hitting my ceiling. I definitely had some stuff. I remember seeing um, a therapist and that helped a little bit that helped release some things that had gone on and, you know, growing up and definitely believe in therapy, but it, I still didn't know what I had. I, I felt like, um, you know, t- typical things like not feeling like I was good enough, not feeling like I had everything it took to be successful at a high level, but, and it was draining. And I, I was like, is this depression? Is this, uh, so, so as far as getting into coaching, I think, um, part of it was f- for self first part of it was me on my journey mm-hmm. to feel free from whatever this was. I mean, I was ready to do like, do I need to take, is it ADHD? Is it, like I said, is it depression? I, I really didn't know what it was. And so um, I had seen some examples of coaching and uh, that was pretty much, it was a dual, a dual effort for sure. I definitely wanted to get myself right and get some questions answered about me. And then if I, and, and I had a dream, like if that, if I can figure this out, I'd love to turn around and give that back to people. Cause I, Cause I, you know, it's 20 something years of, of these kind of think of this kind of thinking and feeling stuck. So I was excited that if I could find the answers to be able to turn around and see if other people felt the same way. Okay. First of all, sorry about your dad. What, what year did that happen? That was about 10 years ago. Oh so my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. That just must've been traumatizing. Yeah. yeah. From the from the outside, I, I look at you and I go, man, football player, star athlete. Obviously, you're you're great in high school, successful in the ministry. keeps keeps on serving, fruitful and productive there, leading churches, then succeeding in the professional world. From outward appearances, it would just seem like you're just you're killing it. You're you're doing great. Um, explain like where you know how there must've been a gap there between what's going on on the outside and what's happening on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, um, it's funny when I was in high school, like I got vo- voted most likely to succeed, you know? Right. And I remember right. looking in the mirror and going like, you fooled them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember just being like, you pulled it off or whatever, you know, just, just not being able to take that in like, no, they got the right guy. I was like, Oh my gosh, I fooled those people. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I think what I've learned, I and mean, we'll probably get to this a little bit later, but I think what I've learned is when you're young, it's, it's almost impossible to process emotionally from the, from the, the maturity of your brain, the maturity of your character and your emotions when you're abused uh, verbally or, or, you know, um, especially by someone that you credit at a high level, 
the the weight of the the weight of those accusations. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were uh, verbally abused, physically abused. Um, you know, left out. All these types of things. You know, not included. Disclusion, right? Um, what I've learned is you just can't process that as a child. You you just accept it, especially if the source is credible. Mm. And in my situation, the source was beyond credible. And so. What happens is you you learn to compensate for the inadequacy, right? So, so I became extremely over competitive. I mean, one on ones, one on one in basketball, two and two, ping pong. You mean, you <laughs> but but that was such a uh, that was such a call for help. That was such. I was so empty. I just needed that win. I mean, at the YMCA or at the park, I, I, that was important to me. You know, that I had a very, um, I had a leak. <laughs> and again, we'll get into what that leak was and it is now fixed, but I just had a leak and even understanding grit God's grace and even understanding um, that, you know, I wasn't living a double life. It, it just, it just, that's the thing. Where's the leak? Why do I feel this way? Why do I have to win? You know, and um, it was just, it was a treadmill life, treadmill mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to win in the ministry. You know, I need like a D group. I need to show up. I, I want to have the most baptisms. I want to have the most visitors. I, sure. you know, like I, and, and if I don't, you know, like I hope they don't ask questions on it. Right. 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 And, you know, when you're, when you're playing football and they're watching the films and you have a bad play, you're like, keep going keep going. <laughs> I don't think I can take it, you know, having a bad play and getting called out on it and things like that. So, okay. So how do, can you explain how coaching works? Because the, the thought comes in my mind, is it like discipling? Is it, I mean, almost, I would wonder, okay, if you were looking for that type of, you know, type of job, certainly ministry has an element of counseling to it. Um, yeah. can, can you just like, give a little background on like what, what is coaching and, and why did you choose that, that path? Sure. So I went into training. Um, I went into coaching training and um, I didn't really know. I, I had the same question. What is this? Right. And everything. And so um, what I learned was I learned the difference between therapy and coaching. Right. So let's just start at a high level. So therapy is typically, again, it's just typically where you, where you go to therapy for someone who's not functioning to functioning. So, right. That, that meets that need to get you back up functioning. And then I've heard it said that coaching is from functional to optimal. Okay. So when you're functioning, things are going well, but you really want to, you know, you really want to do better. You want to make your, your ceiling, your floor and go to a whole nother level. That's, that's what they've explained coaching. Consulting is when you're the expert and you're called in to consult a situation, right? You're, so you're called in to, to be the professional, to have the experience, to make the changes based on what you know works. That's consulting, not mm-hmm. coaching. Mm-hmm. So um, for, for coaching to work properly, properly um, we have to have the answers to, you know, pretty much, you know, the following questions, um, which is just who, who's the expert? Um, that's the first thing in Like, let's say you and I are coaching, right? And you're the client and I'm the coach. It's like, which one of us is going to be the expert, right? Like, 
And one of the beautiful things about coaching is that, that the, now this is under ICF. So there's lots of coaching programs out there. I mean, sure. There's right. you, you can get coaching degree in 20 minutes. And so right. <laughs> the one that I chose, I did a lot of research, but it was a uh, ICF international coaching federation, 90 hours of, you know, in, in, in classroom chain training. And one of the things that, that, that really got me into it was that you really believe that your client is the expert of their own life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, you know, as that's, I thought about Jesus and, and just, the empowering questions that he asked, you know, you know, in hindsight, kind of looking at their model and seeing how much coaching works. And then I look at Jesus and, you know, the, just the times where he'd be like, he'd be like, so what do you want me to do for you? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but like, he's blind. <laughs> I wonder if the disciples were like, hello, but he would ask, wouldn't he? He'd be like, what do you want me to do for you? Um, and then, um, you know, what about, what about Peter when, when he was like, do you love me? Right. And Peter's like, yeah. And then do you love me? He's like, yeah. It's like, do you love me? It's like, think about the layers. Like, yeah, sure. Well, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. And then it's like, whoa, like he, he could have, he could have taught him lots of things. He could have, but he asked questions. So, so the, so the being cure coaching is being super curious about someone else, you know, I don't know if you and your wife are, would you consider yourself opposites, Rob, or would you consider, um, or someone in your, if someone in your family may be completely opposite than you? Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so imagine me trying to come in as the consultant, consulting both of you on a vacation Mm -hmm. or consulting both of you on what you want to do with that hour of free time. But I'm going to come in and tell you, okay, you need to go jogging and you need to go rollerblading. Right. Maybe I'll hit it. Maybe I'll miss. Right. So, so coaching is where you put yourself on the, you put yourself on the shelf and you, your skill is the ability to empower others through provocative questions. Okay. So how would a person know that they even need coaching? What you said is that therapy is when you're non-functioning, you try to get functional. I know that's a kind of a, a broad generalization. And then coaching is when you're already functioning, you're, you're going to a higher level but mo- most of us are going along with our lives. We, you know, we keep a roof over our heads. We keep fed and try to exercise if we can and go to church, you know, regularly. And we've gotten used to it. You know, it's, it's like a fish in water. It's like, it's like have not experienced anything different. What would be like the warning signs or a red flag? Like I could really benefit from coaching. That's, that's kind of what I wonder. Like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So how would you know that, hey, coaching could really help me? Right. That's such a good question. (laughs) Um, I think the, I think the answer to that is like, when you have that nagging desire, like when you watch a movie that that's an inspiring movie for you, everybody's got different movies. Again, that's the beauty of humankind, right? We're, we're all different parts of the body. Mm -hmm. We're all different. You've got people who want to be chefs, right? You have people who want to be athletes, you got people who want to be salespeople. I mean, we're just awesome. We're different. But in our differences and in our lives, at certain times we can feel caged, right? right. We can yes. feel we can feel caged. We can feel like, man, I, I think I'm I think I'm thinking too much about what people think about me here. You right. know, I think right. I think um I can't get that thought out of my head that 
you know, that I'm, that, that I'm just not good enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Or just that, 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 that I can take on that next level or, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I think, I think it's, I think it's a matter of, would you benefit from, from understanding this? Number one is what does it look like? You know, and, and typically you have to even use the words with a magic wand because so much that we're so in our heads, right. 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 We can't see past like the hedges because right. we're so in our heads. So it's like, Okay, magic wand. Here we go. That's the Disney here. <laughs> magic wand, just to get over the hedge yes. of our own issues, right. right? Right. Tell me what it looks like when it's done. Right. Now, and that can be a month, a year, five years, or just right. legacy, right? Like yeah. what what's going on for you when it's all going right? Right. You know, I'm guessing there's some single folks here, right? And mm-hmm. maybe their dream is a relationship. Maybe right. uh, maybe there's some some married folks, right. That they, they want to be better parents or they want to, they want their career to skyrocket and, or, or maybe, you know, maybe just from a spiritual standpoint, right. Like I want to multiply who I am. I want to write some books. I want to make an impact in the world and just letting someone and, and really listening to someone talk about that. Right. Cause where do you talk about that? You don't typically talk about that at the diner, right. Or you don't typically talk about that at work, like what that ultimate end game is for mm-hmm. you. So I think the coaching provides a certain atmosphere for, for dreaming right? and, and for really talking about potential. And then from there, it's like, okay, I totally get what you want. Right. Awesome. What's standing in the way, right? you know, and you know, where, where are you now, you know, and then the ability to trust someone who's, who's like legally like, in there with you is I will not tell anybody what you right, say. Right. I mean, again, even friends, right? Like, you know, you, you probably, Rob, you probably tell some friends this and sure. some friends that, right. but when something really comes up, you go through your Rolodex, right? You go through your contact list. You're like, who can I really tell this to? Right. So I'm sw- sworn to confidentially as confidential, I'm confidential as a coach, right? So people can blah. Right. They, and they, they can feel safe and they can have that room and that space. You know, sometimes, sometimes, I mean, there, there's a joke, but sometimes it's like 85%, like 85% of just sometimes doing better is just getting, having someone really listen to you. Right. I right? Totally and not agree. judge you and not try to fix you, but just to really find that space. Mm. So it's where, where's that, where's that magical place you want to be? Right. Where are you now? And then what's standing in the way? Mm. And Rob, I'll tell you, this is why I still get coached. I, I believe in coaching. I pay for coaching is because there's typically four things that are going to stand in someone's way. Um, and you can tell me if this resonates at all for you, but just even, or your audience, but like number one, limiting beliefs, right? Right. Like just, just that limiting belief too tall, too short, right? right. Too late, too old, too skinny, you know, miss my opportunity. And, um, you know, that one just, that one can just really drain the energy. Imagine, you know, imagine just having a, a gas tank, you know, and, and that th- this, this, this uh, vehicle is going to take you to your dreams and right. limiting beliefs right. is, is a hole in that gas tank. It's going to drain the gas. It's going to drain your power right? because you, you've just got something stuck in there about yourself that's going to, that's going to limit you from even what we know about faith, right? Being right. sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Hmm. Secondly is interpretations. So it's a lot of times, 
we interpret what people feel towards us by how they look at us right. and what they say. And we make up stories like that person doesn't like me in the, you know, in the, in the cafeteria and this person on my job, I know they hate me. Have they said they hated you? No, but I know they do. Why? I can just tell, you know, and, and we can make up these stories in our heads. And that is another hole in the gas tank. Right. right. So that's going to drain because I'm interpreting the world. Right. Like if like, um, I mean, I'm making up these stories, but they're not faithful stories. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. interpretations, um, assumptions, why you you asked me, why would someone need a coach? Because they're assuming that the past is going to repeat itself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. Same as yesterday. There, there's not that vibrancy, right? There's not that hope. There's not that dream. There's not that. And I, I'm not saying every once in a while we can just be like, Hey, what's up? But like, for a lot of people, they are just hanging in there. And because there's not that hope that today is going to be much different than yesterday. Mm-hmm. I loved your tagline um, for your podcast, right? With, with no regrets, right? Mm-hmm. That's and then right. what else? Make this life count. Make this life count. It's when, when these three things are going on, they're like rocks in your backpack. You can do it, but you're carrying, when you're carrying limited beliefs and you're carrying interpret like wrong interpretations and you're assuming that yesterday, tomorrow is going to be just like today and yesterday. Um, it's heavy and it's hard. And you could be doing so much better if you could just wash those things out. Right. And the thing, Rob, is that as a coach, what I get to do is I get to be objective in my client's mind because they're very subjective in their own mind, mm. you know? And uh, that's a lot of fun. That's Because <laughs> when I see something, I call it out. Right. But for them, it's always been there. Right. right? Exactly. That's, that's the tricky so, part. Yeah. Yeah. Because our hearts are deceitful above all things. And so when someone else is there, they get to gently call it out. Can I mention just one more thing? Well, you, you, someone... me- you mentioned four things that hold us back. I've got limiting beliefs, interpretations, assumptions. Was there a fourth one? Yeah, last one. Yeah. So I'm going to call this one the gremlin. And this is what I, when I heard people talking about this, I remember I went to a diner once and there were these guys and they were talking about like having stuck thoughts in your head. And I remember like leaning over, like, please say what that's called. (laughs) So they were talking about the gremlin. They were talking about um, limit uh, this, this inner critic voice. Now, we know from the Bible that we have an accuser. We, we know from the Bible that he accuses us day and night, right? And so I believe that part of it is this inner critic. I, I do believe it's a spiritual accusation, you know, reminding us of all our failures and all the bad things we've ever done. And I remember I was talking to this one sister once, and she's a women's ministry leader. She's kind of a household name in our church. And I don't want to say who, who it was for her privacy. And um, we were talking for about three minutes And she was just sharing some stuff and she was nervous about this event coming up and speaking and stuff. And and then she said something else. And I said, let me ask you a question. I said, and I'd never asked someone this question before, but I was just listening to her. I said, if you could surgically remove any thought that you could from your, from your mind, what would it be? Oh, good question. And she just, she just, you know, she just balls, right? Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we're at this meeting. Her husband comes over, like, what did you do to my wife? <laughs> what did you do to my wife? I'm like, I didn't do anything. I just asked her a question. And, you know, guess which one it was, you know, that I'm not good enough. I see. I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so we did a few sessions. 
um, on this gremlin, you know, that had really hoisted down in this person's mind. And we, we actually worked through and, and did gremlin ejection, or I don't really usually call it that, but I'm just thinking in my head. I mean, it, we, we eradicated, um, you know, this thought, you know, is it, is it going to come back tempting? Sure. But we were able to do some really good work and that, that no longer holds that person back and no longer holds me back. But there's, you know, it's, it just takes, it just takes some work mm. to get those out. Yeah. But life is so different once they're gone. So those are the four things why someone would would work with a coach. Again, it's not an exclusive list, right? But it's it's the hurdles that most of us don't get over by ourselves because we're we're subjective to them even being them even happening in our lives. Right. Really powerful stuff, and I think uh, you know one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is try to help other small church leaders because one of the challenges that a small church or small ministry leader faces is they're typically all by themselves. They're probably maybe in a remote area and that's, they form probably 80% of our family of churches is smaller church leaders. Typically they're the most mature, you know, quote unquote in, in their sphere of influence. And so they don't have anyone to talk to. And Right now is one of the most challenging times I've ever experienced in the ministry. I mean, it's yeah. tough and mm. it's tough mentally because there's no precedent. There's no like, hey, mm. this used to be like back in, you know, 93. No, it's not like that at all. It's completely new ground. And I think we're all reaching out going, okay, how can we manage this? You know, what? Mm. And I think those gremlins are going after people. Yeah. I, you know, I've certainly seen it in my own life and I go, if I'm feeling it, I'm sure other people are feeling it too. Um, any words of encouragement to those who are, who are facing the, the, that kind of a situation? Oh, I do. Um, I'm trying to see. So a couple of things. I love working with church leaders. Um, I did it for 12 years, but that doesn't make me any better of a coach. Um, if anything, it puts me in danger of wanting to become a consultant. <laughs> but um, I, if you're watching this and you leave the church, I totally feel for you. I totally get it. Um, you know, I was, I was coaching this one brother who leads, I guess you, he'd be considered a small church guy. And, and we were coaching and I, I was like, man, I was like, how's it going? He's like, ah, I'm like, what? What's going on? What's going on? And he's like, I don't know what it is. He goes, I just, he goes, I get done speaking, you know, and then I come home and I'm in a bad mood and I'm tired. I just want to take a nap. And he goes, I don't know what it is. He goes, I just, I'm not feeling like, like after I speak, like, yes, like it really helped people. And I was like, okay. I was like, tell me, walk me through what you do. Walk me through how you prepare. So to make a long conversation short, um, I was like, so, so you, when you, so you, do you pray about your message? You know? Yeah, I pray about it. Well, tell me what that prayer is like, you know, and, and he's kind of walking me through his prayer. And I said, I said, okay, are, how much, how much are you trusting that prayer? Like, where are you as far as that prayer? And then what happens afterwards? Mm. And there you go. Hmm. And he's like, bing, you know, in, in our world, it's aha moments, right? right it's right. like, it's, it's, it's just, it's having an insight, right? Right. 
So coaching is about insight. Right. So, so for me, like I'm going through, do you love, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Like I'm saying, so, so let's talk about your sermon. Let's, so what happened was I didn't have the, I didn't have the bing. I didn't have the aha moment. He did right. because what he realized he wasn't trusting his prayer I and what see. he was trusting was people's response to him. Oh, good. How okay. many thank yous? How many, like how many people came up to him? Did they not come up to him? He, he was, he, he had just misguided his evaluation points. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea. He had no idea this was going to come up in the call. Right. We just got on the topic of how he felt after he preached and, <laughs> And I, and, and here's the thing since then, he's like, oh my gosh, he goes, it's changed my life. He goes, it's completely different. Mm. He says, I've had, I've had this person in the front row. I've had that person. Okay. Household names in our kingdom. (laughs) And he goes, and I could care less what they think, like in a good way, right? because he's spirit, he's feeling spirit led. He's feeling like this is the spirit. And I said what I said, and God's going to do the magic. Mm. You know, the word doesn't come back empty. And he's had tons of energy, you know, after his messages, this was going on for 20 years wow. with this person. So, so what I'd love to say to small church leaders is, man, first of all, I'd love to have a conversation with you and, and, and I hear you and I'm with you and, and I'm not going to fix you. Mm-hmm. For those who are skeptical, you know, I'm sure some people are going, Hmm, you know, Dave's just a guy and yeah. tell me, Tell me some stories of, you've shared a couple, you shared about a woman who was really impacted by coaching this, this minister whose who's preaching is impacted. Can you share with me a, a story where you felt like coaching really made a difference that for you, you go, okay, this is why I got into coaching in the first place. Yeah. So, um, so I was working with this one client, this person runs two businesses, incredibly successful, um, but was having but was having some issues um, personally, you know, with, with his own health and with, with some other things. And there were some other things that were holding him back in this one part of one of those businesses. So, so we started a coaching call and I'm, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And he said, um, not so good. How's it going? What's going on? He's like, ah, you know, I didn't go to the gym this morning. Okay. What happened? Um, ah, you know, I didn't set my alarm and I didn't, I, don't know, I just didn't really want to go. I said, okay. Well, so what do you think it was that made you didn't want to go? And he said, basically what he said was my father didn't love me growing up. That's a big jump. That, that's a big jump, right? <laughs> so, so this is a Christian. This is a business owner. This is right. someone who's been a Christian 20 plus years. Right. So if I was discipling, right. Or if I was just a friend, I'd be like, right. dude, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Right. What about right. your dad? Dude. Right. Like, come on, right. stop it. Right. Get up in the gym and, and be a man. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was like, okay. See, because if we just stop the story here, this is what you, this is, I want to say, this is what you have to understand. This is what I understand as a coach. Sometimes it's, it's a slight adjustment that keeps people from going from zero to hero or, or 50 to, it's not usually this huge uh, trauma. It's, Mm -hmm. it's ways of thinking that got stuck because when it happened to you or when you had issues, you just weren't mature enough to process what happened. And so it has stuck with you through the years. Mm. So, so here's, so, so again, I had to bite my tongue because when he said that, I was like, wow. Okay. So I said to him, I said, okay, so you're saying 
that if you would have had a better relationship with your father, that you would have gone to the gym this morning. And he goes, yeah. I said, okay. I said, fine. I said, I said, is this true? Like with all things, like people with, with better dads do better in life. And he said, yeah. I said, okay. So I said, I said, you like to read, right? Mm -hmm. He said, I said, oh yeah, here's the, I said, I'll believe you. And what I want you to do is I want you to go research your five favorite authors. And if all of them had great relationships with their dads, then I'll believe what you're saying, Mm. but let's just, let's just see what happens. So he, he goes back and he gets on the phone call. I'm getting goosebumps. He's like, Oh my gosh. He's like, this guy's dad never talked to him. This guy's dad beat him. He, he was like, he's like, oh my gosh. He's like, I am so, he's like, I get it. It's not my dad. Mm. It, it's not him that's holding me back. You know, the, the, the conniving and the cutting down and all that stuff. And, he, and <laughs> one of the things, one of the things that happened was he didn't renew with me. And he's like, you did too good a job. <laughs> The first time he's like, and since then he, again, I can't mention, he's gone on to win awards with his craft. Wow. He is skyrocketed and he just had, you know, let's go through our list, right? Was it a limiting belief? Kind of, right? But what, you know, it was the limiting belief is if you have a bad dad, you can't be that motivated and that successful. Like there's going to be a ceiling to how healthy you can be and, you know, how well you can do professionally. Mm. It was like a ball and chain around him. But once his, once these other guys, once he, once he realized that they did awesome and soared without great fatherly relationships, he could then make it get rid of that limiting belief. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And have a transforming truth, Mm. you know, and that's what he needed. And that was his insight. That was his aha. And he has never turned back. He's killing it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, in our previous discussion, you mentioned the three E's. Now, can you, yeah. can you talk, cover that again? I, I thought that was pretty interesting when we talked about it in our pre-interview. Sure, sure. So if you've ever slept over someone's house and, you know, maybe you needed to go to the bathroom and you didn't know where the light switch was and you're walking through the living room, pretty good chance you're going to fall into something, right? <laughs> you kind of have that closed eyes, your hands are out in front of you. So the first, the first thing in coaching that I work with people on is enlightenment. Like, let's turn the lights on in your mind. Let's turn, let's, let's talk about what's really going on there. Because if we don't, if we don't start calling things the right things and we don't start naming stuff, if we don't start attaching, like if we, how are you ever going to really grow and get by and, and get through those hurdles that we discussed earlier, right? Right. Like, like, okay, that's a limiting belief. And, oh, that's an assumption. Oh, that's an interpretation. Oh, that's my gremlin kicking in. That's, that's full-time light, right? Like, like you're now cognizant of what's happening in your life. Mm -hmm. You can, you can name things. Right. I think you and I talked, Rob, about how I didn't know the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Right. And Carol Dweck's work, mm-hmm. um, which is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And when I read the book, when I read her book, you know, mindset, and realized that I had a fixed mindset of it instead of a growth mindset. Talk about uh, it was a fireworks of aha moments. Wow. And just like, there you go. That when I when I talked about being competitive before, a fixed mindset person 
thrives on victory and and championing and 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 holding on to your trophy because you're so scared that if you leave the victory dance that you're going to be no good again right so you don't leave it you just you brag and you boast and you want to become this idol right a growth mindset says hey that was great 24 hours later let's go and do the next thing right so so what enlightenment is is just what what's going on with me what's it called right and and okay i totally get it right or not totally maybe but i get it right then we move on to engagement okay rob so now jesus sounds like you've had some real good enlightenment sounds like sounds like it's making sense to you and we've got this and that call so how do you want to show up on your podcast now mm-hmm. now that you know this is going on let's talk about how you want to be with your family how you want to be with, at your podcast right like who do you really want those who are your dream clients right all those things we can now talk about engage, taking what you learn from enlightenment and engaging in your life differently. Mm. Going after that big dream that you have, um, you know, taking the motorcycle ride across the country, <laughs> <laughs> raise awareness for small churches. All right. Um, for some of my clients, they're, 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 they're as successful as you can be. They got lots of letters after their names, but guess what? It's their marriage. You know, guess what? It's their relationship with their kids. Guess what? They cannot get a hold of their health. They've got the resources to do it. Right. Like, in other words, we all can engage at a higher level. Right. Right. But usually not without turning some lights on first mm-hmm. and really getting clear about, like what's happening. And then now I'm engaging differently. What that leads to is the last D that we talked about, which is empowerment, mm. right? So, so now not only do I get what's going on, that's important, but I'm living differently. And guess what? I'm empowered now, right? I'm living an empowered life and I can go and turn that empowerment onto others, right? Which is so powerful, right? Even as we study the Bible with people, even as we as we love the loss, as we love the poor, right? We we are no longer rocks in the backpack, Dave Mitchell, mm-hmm. because I've got those things. Again, they're close by; <laughs> they don't ever go away to heaven. Right. But but they're out of my backpack. I'm I'm living light. I'm getting more done, and I'm not making it about myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So so I'm having that that impact. I'm having that empowered life. So Dave, you're also an Ironman athlete. How'd you get into that? Uh, kicking and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. I mean, it kind of started off with like, you know, while I was playing football, you get strong, you get weak, you you know, you live for three months, you take two off, you start over again. And my my wife didn't care if I was in shape or not. She never noticed. I'm like, one day I was just like in the gym, like, what am I doing this for? Right. And, and then, uh, you know, I, I'd heard about the sport triathlon and, um, but, um, yeah, it's, you know what it is? It's someone said this once, and I really agree. Like when you go to just a running race, like, you know, the runners are running and they're doing their personalized stretches and they have the perfect sneaker. Yeah. You know, and if you go to a biking race, similar, if you go to a swim race, like everyone's zoned in and kind of in their world, right. When you go to a triathlon, we all think at least one thing, right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like right. there's this humility that kind of just 
like the people are cool. It's more relaxed. I don't know. I like the atmosphere. It's been a lot of fun. And you can start off real small, like a sprint, you know, a 400 meter swim with a, let's see, like a, a 12 mile or 15 mile bike ride with a 5k. And, and then it goes all the way up to, to the full distance of like the, you know, the swims two and a half miles, 112 bike with a full marathon. Wow. So it's, um, you know, and then you can pick in between there. Yeah. But it's yeah. a it's a fun sport. It, it it's it humbles you. Yeah. This crash I crashed uh, Friday. Oh boy. Got that. My arms a mess. But so it's it humbles you, but you get these great times with the with guys, either friends, neighbors, or brothers, and we go out and we just we just have a blast. It's yeah. It's, it's really fun. I I really think there's part of a man, at least for me, that is attracted to really testing yourself and and there's some satisfaction even though doing it itself i you know some things i i do i go that it's no fun at times just miserable but then looking back you go that was awesome i think about crossing the country on a motorcycle i mean 4400 miles there are times i go this really stinks but looking back i go (laughs) it was awesome but I, i i like to push the limits i mean i like TV shows like Alone, where they drop people out and they've got to survive, yeah. you know, and see how long they can live. But I think there's something innate in a man that, and perhaps women too, you just go, okay, there's something attractive about being able to see, push your limits physically. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's the people that you meet too at these events. So Iron Man's tagline is anything is possible. And uh you know, I was in line. I was down in Florida last year. The guy behind me, I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? We start talking. He was a major league baseball player who got hurt and got hooked on opioids. Opioids, uh, yeah. Opioids um, for like 10 years. And he, and he, and he, and, and his, and his, he was like, I'm going to quit these drugs and I'm going to do an Ironman. So for a lot of people at these races, they just lost 70 pounds, they wow. just lost 100 pounds. They just got off drugs, you know, um, recently there was, a. uh, this was in Florida last November. We're there. I'm like, I see this booth. I'm like, what's going on here? And here it is. Um, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it's this guy named Chris, you know, and, um, and he's going to do the, uh, the Ironman, you know, and, um, and, uh, um, it was just, it was just amazing to, you know, it's just, you just meet so many different people there. It's right. just different stories. It's so inspiring. Right. It's an inspiring environment. Right. Now you mentioned an event that impacted you last November. Can you explain that? Yeah. So last year I went down to, um, went down to, uh, Florida and, uh, there was a, a booth, uh, for this, this, uh, down syndrome athlete that was signed up to do the Ironman. And, um, you know, like when people hear of an Ironman, they, they, you know, they take someone who's, who's just fully healthy, a fully healthy athlete. And, and then they still say, Whoa, Chris with, with, with down syndrome can't, can't bend one of his arms, you know, Chris with down syndrome, um, didn't, you know, <laughs> he didn't even start eating like, um, hardened food until he was like four. Like, Chris with Down syndrome had like six brains or like, like it goes on and on and on. And, and when Chris rides his bike, he can't take a drink and ride at the same time. He's got to pull over. You know, when, when, you know, when Chris swims every stroke, his whole body comes up out of the water and you're just thinking that's why no one had ever signed up 
with Down syndrome before for an Ironman because because someone who's told you get what I'm saying, someone who's totally healthy, it's like, whoa, for right. him, it's like, no, instead of whoa, it's no. So we had this motto called 1% better. And um, I put the tattoos on my arms for my race. I love it. And he's like, if I just get 1% better every day, um, I'll, do, I'll be able to do this Ironman race. Wow. And uh, there was a couple of times I passed him out there and he, he fell on his bike um he uh he had some really tough things but you get 17 hours to finish the iron man and uh the winners finish it in about eight okay chris finished with like 14 minutes left at like 1648 or something like that wow and became the first down syndrome to not only register but to finish the iron man so i mean you gotta google chris nickich if you put iron man chris nickich just chris and iron man it'll come right up but i mean just shed tears. Uh, it's just, it's just an amazing story about what's possible and talk about someone who's living in the moment. Talk about someone who, who's just focusing on getting a little bit better each day. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, just that motto 1% better. And it, it led me from a coach into a whole new certification called tiny habits and, um, tiny habits, uh, from, uh, a PhD professor in Stanford. He's a behavioral scientist, BJ Fogg. I'm telling you, I believe I, I have a bad case of ADHD, but they just didn't, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, they just didn't diagnose that. And so I have a tough time with, you know, like squirrels, right? right squirrels right, everywhere. Right. Um, I'm going to write a book one day called Cage the Squirrel because I, <laughs> Great title. I'm constantly trying to figure out how to cage my squirrels. <laughs> but, uh, but, but these tiny habits um, are so simple. Like after I sit down in my chair... I will open MailChimp, you know, mm -hmm. to write a blog and then you're done. You celebrate, like you just celebrate the actual step or I'll write one sentence. And mm -hmm. it's just, it's kind of what Chris did with the Ironman. Like one day I'm going to swim half a lap. The next day I'm going to swim three quarters of a lap. And all of a sudden years go by and he's swimming two and a half miles, mm -hmm. you know? And then it's like, I'm going to learn to ride a bike, you know? And then, you know, and, and, and just little by little, I'm going to run one mile. I'm going to run 1.1 miles. All of a sudden he's running a marathon after riding a bike for 112 miles. So, so it really encouraged me a lot and helped me because I feel like a lot of the coaching courses out there, you need a lot of motivation to change. So imagine like needing to be this high to start a coaching program, tiny habits um, are the step stool to get to that where the other one starts. Right. It's just these tiny principles and you can just Google tinyhabits.com or um, BJ, you know, BJ Huff, you can get the book if you want, but it's just these little things you can do that get you to the beginning of other programs. And then you can really set sail and, and really see some great change in your life. So mm. yeah, it was really, it was really great meeting Chris and I'll never forget it. That's amazing. Dave, what's the, what's the most common issue that you face with your coaching clients? You may have covered it already, but What's the most, you know, where you go, okay, that's, I've seen that before. Yeah. Great question. Um, I was thinking about that, you know, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one, but I'll tell you a really big one is, you know, the scripture that says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know, as men, um, I'm not sure I would, I didn't say it in too many sisters classes, but as men, that topic, when we talk about that is usually what topic. When we talk about purity, every of course, purity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's worked. Right. Right. 
it right. works. Yep. You take a thought captive and you say, you say I'm not going to take a second look. And, you know, oh, that, no, not that way. Go the other way. Yep. And we're so, we've done really well at it, but I'm not sure I've heard a sermon on how to do that about our mental health. Mm. I'm not sure I've heard a sermon about how to, like when you, when you call yourself a dummy or you're stupid or there you go again, or like, like, what about that thought? What, what if you were to take those thoughts captive? Right. But what happens is I don't know what you guys have in your state, but we have something called easy pass. I think it goes from, it's all along the Northeast and it's an easy pass. And if you have an easy pass, you can drive your car right through the toll zone. Now you don't even have to hit your brakes. They've got express express lane. <laughs> And so what happens, I think sometimes is we'll, we'll go through, we'll go through the traffic, you know, to, to not lust, but like self-harm thoughts or self-deprecating thoughts, we'll go right through that, right through that easy pass express lane. And we don't even realize it. And so what happens is we're like a one gear bike, Rob. You know, we've got like one gear and we just stay in that gear. And, and that day, if it's a real, like if, if, if good things happen that day, then maybe it's a good, a good gear. And I'm just going to cruise through feeling good, but, but should you get a flat tire, right. Or, 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 or circumstances don't go maybe the way you want them to. What I see with a lot of clients is they, they're not really aware of how to shift. Right. You know, um, you mentioned one of my programs called the joyful life. So really the goal of the program, it's a 12-week program, is that by the end, they'll be able to look at James 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy whenever you go through trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your create, you know, you know the scripture, right? So the goal is that by the end of by the end of those four months, you'll be able to really look at that scripture and go, you know what? I know how to do that. Mm. I'm not, you know, again, I'm not perfect. It doesn't mean it's wrong to mourn. It doesn't mean it's wrong to be sad when you're compassionate. We know Jesus was, but because James one, two has no time length on it. It doesn't say immediately, but it says eventually consider it pure joy. So I help my clients to be able to put everything into that basket and give them the tools so that they are actually different from an attitudinal standpoint. They're able to take that scripture and say, you know what? It definitely works for purity. But it also works when I'm feeling bad about myself. It also works in in hard times. It also works when I don't want to forgive, you know, and 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 so on and so on. So so really stretching that out like an accordion, that scripture, and letting it be more of an anthem of my life and my clients' lives versus just oh yeah, that's really good for lust. That's powerful. I want to go back to a question I asked earlier, and I just was wondering. Coaching versus discipling. I, yeah. I think many listeners are we're familiar with the concept of discipling. Uh, sometimes it's been good. Sometimes it's been not the greatest. But if you could explain, like, what's the difference? Sure. I got to tell you, um, <laughs> this is like, and again, I want to be very careful. I want to say one thing. Discipling has been great in my life at certain yeah. points. Mm-hmm. I've been a Christian for 34 years. I'm so grateful for discipling. So please don't, I mean... Really, right. it's just certain times in my life, young Christian and even older, it's been amazing. Right. But but what I what I've learned and what I'm really excited about is when my wife and I get with couples now, my wife's certified coach as well. She's not practicing, but she did get certified. Um, when we get with couples, um, in about fifty percent of the time, 
we get about 600% more done in a, in a time together with a couple. Because what we used to do is guess. What we used to do in discipling under the, um, under the umbrella of discipling was guess. Of course, we pray. Like the pressure was on us to do the work. Like, huh, like, what do we think they need to change? Or what's something we could work on this week? Or what, what can we share? And then we're kind of going through our concordance or Googling and getting ready for the D time. And then it went something like this. Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing? How about that football game? Yeah. Hey, my wife and I, you know, Marge and I were thinking, have you guys thought about this? Or have you noticed lately, like your child just runs all over the tree, <laughs> whatever it was. Right. Hey, I noticed you guys were, were fighting the other day. Or, hey, I know you emailed me that you guys got in a fight. Um, what happened? Right. And then you listen to what happened and you go, hmm. And then you are thinking of a scripture and then you try to relate. I used to. So discipling is a lot of empathy and, and bear with me on this. What I've realized is that you can go too far with empathy if you do it before listening. And it's almost completely ineffective because you can take over. <laughs> and what happens internally is in your mind. As soon as someone starts, oh, yeah, my dog died. Then you said, did my dog die? Oh, yeah, I had a dog die. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had a dog die, too. For years, Rob, I thought that was the best way to disciple. Empathize immediately and get in there. And I've learned that's not, you know, and again, I'm not spreading like everyone else is like me. But so so the, so then we, you know, so then you're like, you empathize, you share a scripture, you know, we'll be really praying for you. That was kind of real high level how discipling times were going hope hoping to move it forward a little bit okay scrap so now what what's what's different what, what's like a coaching time together what's that like so instead of having all the answers it's having some questions under discipling i felt like i always had to have the answers i gotta have the scripture i gotta know best i gotta give advice so coaching is like so we get together same thing same couple same situation and hey, guys, before we start, I know you got in a fight earlier and you wanted to talk about that. Let me ask you a question. It's it's 630 right now. Let's say it's eight o'clock because I know you guys have to leave at eight o'clock. Let's what would you love? The, what would you love to see happen by eight o'clock? Mm. Oh, well, I'd love to see him get it. You know, wow. <laughs> I'd love to see him get the hammer because he's not treating me right okay so you want to see him get the hammer okay and what about you what what, what are you hoping for husband you know uh i just want peace in the house i can't take it i can't take it we're so glad you guys could see it tonight okay so you want peace in the house and you want him to get the hammer okay so let's start with the husband so what does peace in the house look like mm. peace in the house looks like like my she comes and gives me a kiss when i go out through the door like okay and i'm taking notes right He's the expert, not me. I'm the one with the questions, not the answers. I'm like taking notes, okay? So then it's like, okay, so so how do you feel about what he just said about you giving him a kiss when you walk the door? I ain't kissing that guy. <laughs> I ain't kissing that guy and, and stuff like that. So, and then, But here's the thing. So what would it take for you to kiss him? What would, what would have to happen where you feel like he's kissable? Mm. Oh, now, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Now, again, this is a, I don't want to intimidate anybody. This is six years of coaching training. Sure, of course. This is, this is a skill. This isn't just, but you, you asked me, and that's the difference is that, see how we didn't get to like all the things that happened? You What you do with coaching is 
you start from where you want to end mm. and you work backwards. Discipling is typically, again, I, discipling has had many colors. It's been a great experience for many people. But sometimes when it's not a great experience is when people feel fixed and they don't feel listened to and they don't feel like you get them. Mm. I find that interesting because 95% of my appointments with people, the most important stuff that we talk about happens right before people leave, like in the last five minutes of the conversation. I mean, all of yeah. a sudden you start getting down to what really matters. Prior to that, it's all just warm up, fluff, you know. Yeah. Just talking. He said, about, she said. Exactly. You know. and, it, and, and right when you get down to the most important stuff, it's, it's time to go. Everyone's tired and it doesn't yeah. really doesn't oftentimes doesn't end up anywhere. Right. It's always their agenda, right? Now, again, the, when there's young Christians, there is training, there is time for advice, there is time for consulting. Please help. Let's talk about people who are Christians like 10, 15, 20 years, okay? Because that's a lot of our church now, right? We're, we're older as well. So, but like, I'll give you an example. So I was out with someone who um, is an intern in the ministry out here, you know, where I am. And we got into a conversation and uh, he's like, yeah, I, you know, I call, I call my discipler and then I get advice about this situation. And then he tells me what to do. And then I do it. He goes, but I, I don't feel like I ever learned for myself. And I said, I said, what if when you called the discipler, I said, so what do you want the discipler to say to you? And he's like, um, what do you think? Mm. <laughs> I said, great. Why do, you, why do you want him to say that? And he's like, well, if you asked me what I thought, then I'd have to think. Mm. We so want to help people. Our ego wants to be the person that said that right thing or did that right thing. So a lot of coaching is getting rid of the ego. And bringing in curiosity mm. and really knowing that you don't know, you don't know the best. They know they've got the Holy Spirit in them. They know they either are blocked or they're not thinking about it. So, so in this conversation, when you call to get advice, when someone calls you to get advice, not to be mean or, Hey, let me ask you a question. I, I I've got tons that to say about this. What do you think? Mm. Let's say they say, I have no idea what I think. You say, okay, well, let me ask you a question. What helps you, what helps you to know? Or, or what have you done in the past to figure things out? Well, I pray or I fast and then I look through scriptures. Okay, so so is this urgent? No, okay. So what if you were to take that same approach to this and then call me back in two days? Great. Awesome. Wow. So it's it's like this is gonna sound intense, but what I've realized is that one of the biggest insults I can give to someone is to give them the answer. It's an insult to their connection with God, the Holy Spirit, their relationship, and I'll probably be wrong. But if I can turn it around and just and just think through, like, you know, what is, again, what is it you want? Where are you now? What's standing in your way, right? And, you know, how can I be of service in, in those ways? Right. That's the difference between discipling and coaching. right. How would people, I know there's people listening and go, okay, this sounds really interesting. I could really use some help. I don't even know what it is, but how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, good question. So um, the website that they could reach out to me on is davemitchellcoaching.com. So just D-A-V-E-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L 
coaching.com. And, um, and then right on there, right, right at the top, you can reach out. Um, a lot of times people just have the comp, we have a conversation, they fill out a, a strategy session questionnaire. And, and sometimes even just that one conversation uh, has meaning for them. It might not be time for coaching for them for many reasons, too much school, too much work, maybe the finances aren't there, but, but even just that one conversation has been helpful for, for some folks, you know, just to, to reach out and talk. And then every Wednesday I put out a news, you know, a newsletter, a blog, whatever you want to call it. So they can sign up to get on my list right there on the website so that every week I talk about stuff like this. That's you know? awesome. That's fantastic. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count? Start with, start with today, hmm. get 1% better today. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on the program. It's great to have you. Awesome, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.